I'm Rick Cushman, and this episode of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul is sponsored by the 2019 Vancouver International Wine Festival. So, Paul, would you go to Vancouver and drink wine? I would go to Vancouver for wine or not for wine. It is one of my favorite cities. Spectacularly beautiful, great food. I'm, I'm going to the festival. It turns out so am I. I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was, I was going to keep that on the down low. But <laughs> oh, I don't, no. I don't, I don't want to scare you and other people off. You know what? I'm going. That festival is so good. People show up even if you're there, right? They, they, will. I, they will. That festival will outshine even me. <laughs> uh, I mean, they did seem to be enjoying themselves last year. And, Absolutely. And we were both there. We were everywhere. You, <laughs> we were... you were a little frighteningly everywhere. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and frankly, Rick, you were a little annoying when well, you were there. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's a great festival. It, it is and my people wife, didn't seem to mind. Nope, nope. Um, February 23rd to March 3rd. Right. Dinners, lunches, brunches, tutored seminars, tastings. It's big tastings. Big tastings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the seminars, by the way, though, uh, <clears throat> folks, just so you know, as a warning, uh, Paul is going to be teaching a few of those. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. But so, you can uh, still have a good time even if you don't go. Even if, even if you do go to my seminars, you can well, have a good time. Yeah, well, you can because I'll be there and we'll be making fun of Paul's work. <laughs> okay, yep. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, or just, just avoid us. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. easily done. Um, although, you know, you can hear Paul for like a mile away, so but that, it makes it easy. So All right. You know where he is. Yeah. So here's just a few reasons to go. Uh, outstanding wine from 16 countries, winemakers and principals from all 1,660 wineries, which is a really cool thing. 160 different wineries. Yeah, you can sit there and talk lunches, to a Canadian wine, uh, winemaker. And, and, Nova Scotian yeah, winemakers yeah, are there. And, uh, yep. and, and they're nice. And they're, they're nice because yep. they're Canadian. Yep. And plus there's all that stuff and dinners in some of Vancouver's best restaurants. Which are really spectacular restaurants. Even, even when you're eating with Rick, the food tastes good. It, you know, I, I liked it and I was there with me. <laughs> a yeah. lot of people left. Yes. Well, I can't, I can't blame them, but they seem to enjoy it at other restaurants. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The festival does make it actually really, really easy for you to eat and drink and get tickets and book hotels. In fact, uh, a hint on booking hotels, Stay Vancouver Hotels uh, has an option up to 35 downtown hotels. And if you book through them, you get a free ticket to the big international tastings. To one of the big yeah, there's, tastings. They, they and, run for yeah. four days and they are yeah. great. It's like, it's like 100 bucks you'll be saving there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stay Vancouver Hotels. And your offer is good until February 14th. Until Valentine's Day, yeah, Rick. You, yeah. could, you could book a hotel. Paul, for, for... I love that offer. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I know. No, Thank I, you. No I, puns. Stuff, yeah. No puns. All right. So, and uh, among those 160 wineries pouring, um, there's going to be lots of good ones. And from Nova Scotia and British Columbia's own Okanagan Valley. Yes, as well as the featured region, which is California. So, Paul, why go to Vancouver to taste California wine? Because, first of all, you taste a lot of different California wines, and you get to compare them with wines from all over the world. Spain, well, New Zealand, South Africa, all sorts of stuff. I was just going to say, because Canadians pouring them are nice. Well, they are. They are. They're they very are. Nice. They, were. they were nice to us. They, yeah, even, this yeah. is how nice Canadians are. <laughs> they are nice, are nice to, to us. Right. Well, <laughs> you too. They invite you to speak. I mean, that's very nice. All right, so come discover... Uh, with us, really, uh, outstanding wine and food in one of the world's great cities. Listen to Paul. Just hang on the back with me. Make fun of Paul. Avoid us both. Uh, that's the Vancouver International Wine Festival, February 23rd to March 3rd. Details, schedules, programs, lots of lots of fun information, including maps on how to avoid both of us, are at vanwinefest.ca. Remember, it's C-A as in Canada, or if you just, just Google it. Yeah, just Google the Vancouver Wine Festival. You will find it. Thank you.
Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, today we're going to pass along some ideas from someone a lot smarter than us. (laughs) Not hard to find those. She's a wine writer who writes for actual people. Okay, now we're narrowing down the field considerably. Yeah, I'm talking about Dorothy Gator, the former Wall Street Journal oh, yeah. wine writer. Yeah, a friend of yours, as I understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and her husband, who wrote with her husband for lots of years, and she's a tremendously cool person. She is. She and John have wrote absolutely great columns about wine. Um, and I will tell you this: I have introduced Dorothy to any number of my clients over the years, some of the most important people in the world of wine. Every single one of them called me up later and said, that lady is a professional from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you're going to like what she has to say, which is that most wine writers still write for each other. (laughs) And she doesn't, which is one of the things that makes her wonderful. Yeah, so yep. we're, we're going to talk a little about that. And also today, listeners ask why wines don't have a bitterness measure like beer. Mm-hmm. How to store wine for decades to give to kids from their birth year, which is a great question. What wines are good pairings with Super Bowl junk food? Because you know that's coming. <laughs> and plus, we're bringing back a couple of classic bits of really horrible wine writing because they help make Dorothy's point. Yes. And of course, uh, along with Dorothy, we're going to be making fun of wine snobs. Excellent. And by the way, we are still on Capital Public Radio yet again. Yet y- another two weeks we've survived on their podcast lineup right there next to wait wait don't tell me yeah. and all of those fabulous podcasts is I, rick and paul i hope they don't listen to us wait wait don't tell me because they're gonna make fun of us <laughs> as they should they really should um we're also on napa broadcasting a network that comes out of the august napa valley college yes rated number one community college in california yeah, so you'd, you'd think they'd know better so how does that happen and you teach there well you know it's <laughs> just, yeah I think those rating people should take another look. All right. And don't forget, look for us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, you can go there, ask us a question. And one more time, I must say it. Come join us at Vancouver International Wine Festival, February 23rd to March 3rd, vanwinefest.ca, or just Google it. There's a good it's a fun. You have it's it's like one of the big, biggest northern uh, North biggest America, in right? North America. Yeah, twenty five thousand people eventually. Yep. Right. All right. So I ran across this piece that Dorothy Gator wrote for the Grape Collective uh, blog a little while back. I just thought it was so great. We should share a little bit. She wrote that she was asked to talk about diversity to the Women in Wine Leadership Symposium. She, we should point out Dorothy is both a woman and an African American woman. Uh, so that's pretty rare in the high courts of windom. Yes. Both of yes. those are. Yes. And and in combination, she's one of a kind. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, she, yeah, for lots of reasons, but yep. that, for sure, for demographically. She wrote that an urgent question in her mind was whether the industry really wants diversity. Yeah. But she said, and this is her now, I don't mean more people of color buying wine. I meant a diversity of approaches to talking about wine, ways that makes the tent, make the tent bigger. This is why Dorothy is a wonderful person, because yep. she understands that what we really ought to be doing is making wine more interesting and fun to people instead of trying to tell people how smart we are. Right. We we aren't very good at telling people how smart we are, Rick, so we pretty much stick with the other one. Well, because we're not that smart. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. So she said many tastemakers and gatekeepers didn't like the column she wrote with her husband. That's John Brecher. Brecher, right? Yeah. Brecher. Brecher. I think. Uh, for 12 mm-hmm. years. Um, and she, she she says some sneered that it was a pop, it was populist, which I guess meant that real people read it. <laughs> oh, just, it. I love that. Yeah. 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 The problem with your column, Dorothy, is too many people read it and liked yeah, it. Those stupid people. Next thing you know, those same common folks 
smoke. They're going to buy wine. And then what will we do? Yeah. So here's what she wrote. <laughs> Back when we started, a very smart wine communications person told me that most wine writers wrote for themselves and six other wine writers. Now we're hearing that there were more voices than ever, more diversity of opinion. This is still Dorothy. In my mind, the main thing that's happened is that wine writers are finding old ideas to recycle that, and that instead of writing for six other writers, now many are writing for a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she's right. Um, I actually had a chance, I've, again, I've had a chance to talk to Dorothy a number of times about wine, and she, to my mind, she just absolutely gets it. Um, her job is to make malt wine more interesting and more fun, and the sad part is that for most wine writers, it's to make wine less fun, and boy, is that a problem. Right, and she said, you know, speaking about uh, some of the stuff that you know, continues on, she says that some of the women writers are, quote-unquote, empowering women by telling them to get a formal wine education and certificates. Same old story, right? Just just right. new people saying right. it. Right. In order in order to get diversity, instead of getting different opinions you, you and gotta, different backgrounds, you've got to go through the catechism and become one of right. the sworn members of right. the secret brotherhood. Exactly. And she says other writers are saying, you know, just learn about everything on your own, like they did since they were kids, <laughs> like that's going to happen, and that <laughs> you don't need someone else to call you an expert. You don't need no sticking badges. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't actually say you don't need no, no stinking badges. No, she didn't. But no, she, she did didn't. say that they're still telling people that you need to be an expert just in a different way. Right. So she wrote, in our second book, The Wall Street Journal Guide to Wine, New and Improved, we wrote, and this is her again, we don't understand why people are told that they have to become experts on wine before they can appreciate it. Imagine if people were told they had to understand all the intricacies of baseball before they could bask in the simple beauty of the game. And she's absolutely right. You know, this is something yep. I've said, yep. and I've used music instead of baseball. You, I've heard you say it. You've heard me say I it. I still rolled my eyes at the John. Uh, no, you did the Elton John thing, and I'm trying to tell you it's uh, that's not the newest uh, <laughs> metaphor. But nonetheless, well, Rick, you are the hippest guy I know. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm with Usher, uh, <laughs> which is if anybody if anybody who is young out there knows that he's not new anymore. Anyway, I'm, it was a joke. Next. Yes. <laughs> the point stands. You don't need to know how these things are made. You don't you know. need to know how to make a piano in order to enjoy music. That's right. Dorothy wrote, Too many wine writers today are simply repeating what became part of the wine zeitgeist, zeitgeist a long time ago. Some writers' attempts at a more democratic tone, a populist tone, if you will, are not very convincing. That's right. Yeah, and yep. her, her example is one pompous, faux pompous writer who we make fun of a lot, I should add. He has lots of new rules, as she says. Yes. She's not a big fan of rules. No, she doesn't think wine should have that many rules. Yeah. We have one rule. Always open the small end of the bottle. Well, and, and, and another semi-rule, which is wear dark colors. <laughs> right. It's a really more right. guideline. Yeah. Uh, this is her. She said it reminded her of the old Woody Allen movie Bananas when the revolutionary <laughs> leader finally replaces the former dictator and demands that everyone wear their underwear on the outside. As she says, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yep. 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 And, of course, she's absolutely right. Yep. Yep. She also said the faux populist writer, <laughs> a particular person, says we have to slow down. And this is really horrible. We have to slow down to help everyone else understand what seems obvious in our heads. In other words, in other words, the faux po this is no longer her. In other words, the faux populist writer said, I still know best and I'm going to help poor little you. 
She called that incredibly arrogant and said, in wine writing, it seems we're back where we started long ago. You know, it reminds me of the conversation we had a while back on this show about smooth and how yeah. all of the wine experts were explaining that the consumer didn't know what they meant by smooth and they had a special definition for it. And you and I were laughing because we knew we could call up a thousand people in America today and say, do you know what smooth is? And every <laughs> single one of them would say, yeah. yes, I do. Yeah. So, And she has a, a suggestion for a different approach on sort of learning about wine. And it's one that you've you suggested, Paul, and, and here you are, right? This is like way too many times in the last few shows. So this I'm is excellent. starting to make me nervous. Um, all right, but she says, forget the books and do this instead. Buy six or 12 bottles of affordable wine from all around the globe. Her suggestions, these are just suggestions, like a dry red from Portugal, a mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc from South Africa, or Garnacha from Spain, anything from the Pacific Northwest, a Beaujolais or a Rhone from France, a Nero Davila from Sicily. Drink up lustily and maybe spend a few seconds thinking about where the wine is from. Remember that it was made by real people for whom this is their art. Maybe this will lead to interest, which might lead to a lifelong passion. That's good for everybody. Absolutely right. And, you know, this is what I do when I travel to another country. I love to walk into a wine shop and just pick out five, eight bottles of wine. And I've seen you drink up lustily, that's for sure. And just go bing, 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 bing. Let me try, take all yeah. these home, try them, and see what we got because it's fun. Yeah, and, you know, so and it sounds like a huge investment, right? One of the things that, you know, there's this thing about wine, and it's a funny thing. Like, we're really—I don't know about you. Uh, you know, I'm— <clears throat> I'm forever buying something online without trying it on and then sending it back. You know, I'm willing to make that, or sometimes well, just eating the, the cost. Fact, the fact that one leg is shorter than the other, Rick, makes it does make it. Yeah, yeah. It does, it's the, I, I, that's the. I need to get that fixed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, but but with wine, we're, we seem to be so afraid to make a mistake. And you know, yeah. you can. And her point is, just drink lustily. You'll like it. You won't like it. Move on. Right. And try a couple of wines you've never tried. Exactly don't worry about right. it. And and if you open a bottle of wine that you don't like, give it to Rick. Give it to me. No, you can. Don't you don't have to finish it, especially if right. it's inexpensive. Right. If you think about it, it's the cost of a coffee sometimes. You know. Right. Oh yeah, so, especially these days. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, or cook with it. Yeah, you know, it's just you know, yep. I mean, there's there's plenty of things you can do. So don't you know, don't be so afraid and try some stuff. You can open three or four bottles in a night and not finish them all. Now I'll finish them for you. Yes, but, you will. But for most don't folks, invite Rick. It's okay to try a bottle or two until you get just something. Just have like. fun. Yep, have fun. Just have fun. All right. Well, speaking of fun. We have some listeners who are willing to roll a dice on the fun of us answering questions for Okay, you. good. Right. So you are, of course, listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. If you'd like to ask us a question, the place is our website, which is rickandpaulwine.com, or our social, which is Rick and, is at Rick and Paul Wine. And, of course, we are on iTunes. So this is from David Martin Davis, another of our regular listeners. Yep, yes. yep. And, David, thank you for hanging in there with us. And, and Davis, the home of the great UC Davis School of Venology. Uh, absolutely, deal. absolutely. So he says, and this is, he asks a really good question. He says, I generally don't care for bitterness in wine. I used to think that high tannins always equals bitterness, but then I'll have a wine that is typically high in tannin but not is not bitter, or else the bitterness is actually pretty good in combination with, with the other flavors, which is the definition of balanced wine, by the way. He says, how can I make an educated guess about how a bitter wine would be based on the grapes used? And and, and one yep. uh, last part, he says, so that's part question one. The second is, beers have bitterness p- points does the wine world have anything comparable? No, nope. because if we did that, that would make life too easy. That would make life like how sweet is the reasoning, right? Right. Some people will tell now, you, now some the, people won't. German, yeah, most of the folks in Germany now are leaning towards a system that will do that for sweetness. But right. in terms of bitterness, uh, David, you're really talking about two things. 
You mentioned tannins, and tannins can be quite bitter. But in fact, how bitter they are has a huge amount to do with how ripe the grapes are. So the riper the grapes, in general, the tannins tend to go from green and pretty bitter to softening up and still being tannic, but not being bitter. So there's no easy rule to say. You kind of have to know the winemaker's style and maybe even the heat of the vintage in some regions to really know whether you're going to get bitter tannins or just... But frankly, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to suggest that if you're a good winemaker, your wine should not be bitter. Yeah, one of the things that you also see in some of those big, heavy tannin wines, and those are... Things like Nebbiolo or Barolo or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Petit Syrah or Cabernet, some of those. You know, if they're a little bit older, the tannins will have softened some right. and the bitterness will have softened right. some. But once now, again, it's the winemaking. Now, there's one other element here, which is that wines that get a lot of oak can sometimes actually right. pull tannin out of the oak. And those can also be quite bitter. And actually, in some whites, sometimes it's the oak treatments. It's not actually oak right. barrels, but various ways that they impart that. If it's not balanced, can add some bitterness as well. And there's one third layer to all of this, David, which is that some people are more sensitive to bitter flavors than other people are. Children in particular are more sensitive to bitter flavors. So it may be that your palate is particularly sensitive, which is to say you have a more... It's actually actually more, more sensitive palate. Well, that's well, a good thing. You know, in, but it may mean that you need to be a little more careful about which wines you pick. Than, you know, in the scales Rick. of super t- taster versus non super taster, you're probably towards the super taster. Right. right. Yeah. Whereas Rick will drink anything. I am I am the super drinker, Paul. That's <laughs> super I drinker. Am. I am a super that's drinker. Right. Yeah, and and it, it's a great idea on bitterness points. It's so useful for me in beer. Yep. You know, and and because I'm not not a huge hoppy guy. Yep. And that hop scale is absolutely yep. perfect. Is that Meanwhile, I like hoppicidal beers. Well, there you go. He's, uh, yeah, and he's a pretty bitter old man anyway. So So this one is from Jimmy in Sacramento. And Jimmy emailed us or went to our website Uh, and asked a question. He says, I have two young children, and I bought two age-old bottles of wine from their birth years. I'm planning to open them at an occasion to be determined when they're in their 20s or 30s, which is a great. I love that concept. Yes. Um, I currently have them wine stored in a regular wine fridge. Is that adequate for the long-term storage, or are there better options? You know, it's it's a perfectly good option. It'll keep the wine cool, quiet dark. That's what you want. I have a better solution for you, Jimmy, which is dig a pit in your backyard and bury those bottles about four feet down. Yeah, that'll, that'll go over well with the rest of the family and the, <laughs> and the dog. Now, there, there is another option, and it's a little expensive, um, and it's really up to you, but they're wine lockers. Right, but for two bottles, makes yeah, no sense. Yeah, yeah. And by the time you add it up over 20 years, you could... You could give that wine away and wait 20 years and buy that wine again 20 years later with the probably money you true. spent on yeah, the wine locker. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but wine refrigerators are pretty good because remember the things that age wine, that, that, that hurt aging wine is, are light, heat, and vibration. Right. And wine fridges are – what, what makes them different is not just the temperature, but they're dampened in I terms still, of vibration. I still – you know, a swimming pool. Just leave them at the bottom of the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See – uh, and this is another reason why you don't invite Paul to parties. <laughs> right. But basically, you're going down the right road, Jimmy. I, you'll, I think you should be, you'll be fine with that. And if, yeah. you, if you do have more than a couple of bottles, however, you might think about a wine locker. They're not, yeah. Some of the places aren't super expensive. Yep. All right. So that's it for questions for now. We'll have more in a bit. You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. And up next is, of course, everybody's favorite really horrible wine writing. Oh, yeah. 
like to think this is a special edition of the Really Horrible Army Writing in honor of Dorothy. We, uh, she brought some of this stuff up for us, so we're, we're going back to some classics, Paul. And this one is one of my all-time favorites. There's an edgy mineral aspect to the plusher fruit. Quince, tarragon, polished barley, orange oil, and Charente melon. A richness is there, too, but it's a bit wound up. <laughs> okay. So this was, uh, this was the person that uh, Dorothy was not thrilled with, the faux populace. I like the idea that polished barley is fruit. Right. Yes, right. <laughs> Plusher fruit, good point, you know. We've, we've used this a few times because we consider this our classic horrible wine writing. Right? I mean, this is if, like if you had one. We, if you had we, one I'll, shot at Although, it. you know, last week we had, or two weeks ago, we had a really good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but uh, this is if you were going to just really define how not to write a wine note, yep. this would be it. Yep. So, so let's, let's just take this through, right? Okay. So the. Uh, An edgy mineral aspect. So which mineral? Again, you use mineral. I don't want to know mineral. I want to know which mineral. Because there's a lot of them. Could it could be lead? Could be uranium? Yep. yep. I, I want to know. I, 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 Don't I, just say edgy mineral aspect. Yeah. Give me. You know, you're so specific on the fruit. Be specific on the mineral. Right. Uh, okay. And then the plusher fruit. Plusher. Tarragon. Fruit. Plusher than what? Tarragon's not a fruit. No. Nor is polished barley. We don't even know what the difference between barley and polished barley is. Well, it's been polished. Yes. All right. And then orange oil. Not orange. No. Orange oil. And then here's our favorite. This is yes. our single most favorite. Uh, well, it's one of them. One, well, that's, that's yeah. true. This is but maybe mine. So Charmante Melon. Um, yeah. You know, as a guy who's written about food for a lot of years, um, I actually didn't know what this was from the first time, so I looked it up. It turns out it's a small French cantaloupe. And, Paul, you know what it tastes like? A cantaloupe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he could have just said cantaloupe. No, but no. then it wouldn't have been clear that he knows more than anybody else. Yes, right. Because, in fact, if the goal is to communicate, using terms like polished barley, orange oil, and Charente melon are a clear way of communicating something. Yes. But it's not yes. what the wine tastes yeah. and like. And then the last part, it's a bit wound up. But you know what that is, Paul? That's us when we read this guy's reviews. <laughs> it, there's a richness there. <laughs> yes. A richness is there, too. And it's a bit wound as, up. Well, it's already plush. And then he says a richness is there, too, in addition to the plushness. Yeah. Yeah. So there's plushness and richness, but it's a bit wound up. All right. Well, yeah, we have another one from this person because we love piling on. Okay. So uh, this, this is, uh, once again, this is the allegedly new and approachable reviewer. The winemaker's name removed so we don't get sued. Has perfectly a t- perfectly tuned style that makes the best of the vineyard's name removed so we don't get sued. Extreme coastal site. Barrel fermentation and aging in mostly older oak with a final stay in steel to tighten the wine. The result is both sharp-edged and limpid. Yellow raspberries, pippin apple, beaked hazelnut, and the intense mineral signature found in all wines from this land. Okay, so first of all. Where do you want to start? I want to start with steel to tighten the wine. I'm sorry. You put wine in steel to and, give it neutral storage. Right, yeah. It, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. Do, it just neutral. stops doing stuff. It just stuff, stops right? doing stuff. Yes. But no, in his mind, well, what you, you put it in the steel. clamps. Steel clamps. He's, 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 <laughs> he's, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, a final stay in steel and to so, tighten so, the wine. And limpid just means like clear, like right. clear water. So well, you could say clear. Well, but you could say clear, but then you wouldn't know that he knows the word limpid. Yeah, right. And then, and then, you know, sharp-edged and limpid. So it actually sounds a little bit like a piece of broken glass. Okay, and then, okay. and then comes two more of these classics. Here's, right? Here's a favorite one for you: yellow raspberries. Now I know this being a food writer, but I wanted to get a source to say it to make sure, which yeah. is the Indiana Berry Company. Is that gold or yellow raspberry is slimmer and characteristically red berry in all aspects? 
except that it's gold colored with a pink line. And, it's, and the other di- only difference is it's a little softer, so they don't ship them very much. Very right. Often. So in fact, same yellow flavor, raspberries, same flavor, same flavor, smell and taste like red raspberries. Why wouldn't you just say red raspberries? Right. And beaked hazelnut, which is really a shrub, it's not often used as a food stuff, but the hazelnut that does come out is a little bit smaller and tastes exactly like a hazelnut. Yes. Yes. So how does he know that it was smaller, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then, of course, don't forget that he wraps up the intense mineral signature. Right. Which is to say, again, which mineral? Well, It's an intense mineral. I, I think it was probably chalk because he signed it. Oh, oh! I see. Intense mineral signature. So, I always think he had engraved it in in copper. Oh, could be. It could be. Maybe signed signed copper. Signed in copper. And, anyway, our point is this does not make wine approachable. This is the person who's going to make new rules to make wine easy. <laughs> and, and all it does is get us wound up. All right. Yes, indeed. Well, to unwind, I think okay. we'll take a few more Let's questions. Let's take a question Let's or two. Let's do this. Okay. I don't. And one more time, I'm going to remind you. Go to our social. That is. At Rick and Paul Wine and ask us a question. This is from Trong in Westminster. That's Southern mm. California, if you don't know. Okay. Uh, it feels like we're going to get eyes rolled at. It, let me let me read this a little more clearly. It yeah. feels like we're going to get eyes rolled at us if we order wine that seems to be out of season, like right now, rosé or champagne. We had a friend tell us no one drinks rosé in winter. Is that true? It's not true because Rick, you I, drink rosé. I winter, had rosé and last I weekend. drink rosé in winter, yep. and the. Sommelier who's rolling his or her eyes at you about drinking rosé in winter should probably look for another line yes, of work. Yes, and, you know, I was actually—I met a friend for happy hour um, just last Friday, uh-huh. and uh, everybody at the bar—well, not everybody at the bar, but there's like a guy with a, like a construction worker dude. Yeah. I mean, he literally came in yeah. with his hat under his arm. Yeah. Because he was coming off of a— Of a, of a job. He had, he, had a, he had a glass of rosé. Glass of rosé. Absolutely. You know, the people come in the office. A couple of them had rosé. Yeah. So uh, yeah. first off, everybody's drinking rosé in the winter. And, and then second of all, what do you care? Bubbly. What? Yes, bubbly is any time of year. Oh, so it's so not New Year's anymore. When's Sorry. the biggest time to drink bubbly? October, November, December, January, yeah. and Valentine's Day. Yeah. Those are all winter dates. Right. Yeah. Drink well, it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Anytime. Anytime. Anywhere. And yes. and most of all. I mean, there's there are reasons sometimes in the summer we drink you know cooler whites and sometimes in the winter we drink heartier reds because that's what we feel like. But you, you just get to drink whatever you feel you like. You drink whatever you want, right? So, yes. so and, tr- and the sommelier that rolls eyes should be given yeah. a a stern talking to. And and t- tell your friend uh, tell your friend to call us. We'll we'll we'll, we'll set them straight. We'll set them straight. Yeah, yeah. All right. And this is uh, this is since we are here uh, heading in for the Super Bowl. This is a question from Sharon, and and she asks. A question lots of people—I'm sure you get to ask this question. I do a lot, too, because people, a lot of people go to Super Bowl parties for the party. They don't care about the game, and they like to drink wine. Right. She says, any good suggestion for wines that go with all that Super Super Bowl junk that I'm going to eat? Okay. I have a couple, and you have a couple, and we don't agree, but and that's actually the fun part about wine. Go ahead. You start. Well, okay, one we're going to agree on. Yes. Which is both the wines that Trong just <laughs> actually mentioned. Well, exactly. Rosé and Bubbles yeah, are great. Yeah. Great but, choices. But I, I think—I really think that a rich Chardonnay and a rich one— uh-huh. Because the richness tends to go with all that fatty How much food. money does the Chardonnay have to have? I think it has to at least be worth a half a million dollars. <laughs> but I, you know, in real estate, it's fine. It could be real estate. <laughs> it could but, be real. Yeah. doesn't have to be liquid. No, yeah, as long as, I, as, <laughs> as long as the wine can produce a resume that validates itself, okay. it's good. No, So, so the, Rick has recommended a non-liquid Chardonnay. Yeah, a richer, right. <laughs> a richer Chardonnay, because the richness of it will pick up all the fats. And, yeah. then, and then for me, the red, I think, that goes with so many of those foods is Zinfandel. Okay, so I have 
have a completely different approach. I know that you do. And and I'm going to start with light white wines that are refreshing because you're drinking, you're eating chips, you're eating salsa, you're thirsty. Also a good suggestion. It's yep. spicy. And I love the fact that you're drinking like Vigno Verde. Uh, you're drinking uh, Riesling. And the one advantage these wines have, lower alcohol. True. Don't forget you that you're party. sitting there, yep. you're yep. not paying attention, and half the time your team's losing, right. which means you're going to sit so, and eat and drink without thinking for a long time. So, your headache will be smaller if you'd go for the lower alcohol yeah, Paul, wines. Paul, you're telling me I shouldn't be doing shots before I go to the party? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, change this thing a little bit. All right. Uh, oh, dear. What about on the red side? Any, any reds that you suggest? Uh, again, I like lighter, lighter reds. Uh, so I'm going perhaps. Barbera. I'm yeah. going Dolcetto, Valpolicella, Barbera is a good, a good one too. I think, I think that especially um, Sharon, you're in Sacramento, so the Foothill Barbera. Foothill Barbera is perfect. Yeah, they're nice because they yeah. have the nice lightness on the back end, but and, they have some and rich fruit. The good too. thing about this year, at least, is that Sharon can be quite comfortable in realizing that none of the local teams are not, any, where they're not even getting. They're not even given visitors. I, I didn't know the, they were still alive <laughs> really that's, yeah, so, so you don't uh, have to watch the game too carefully no well hopefully you weren't listening to us too carefully because that is an, it for another round of bottle talk with rick and paul our producer is devin cortan who hangs in there despite having to hear all of our shows thank you devin our associate producer is jerry marin uh, thanks to capital public radio for the studio use and for including us on the podcast line but look for us on all of our social at rick and paul wine and remember join us seriously come join us in vancouver for the vancouver international wine festival february 23rd to the march 3rd you can get all the information you need at vanwinefest.ca or google it and remember if you book a hotel through stayvancouverhotels.com you'll get a free ticket to one of the four huge international festivals so big you can avoid us so big you can avoid us if you learn anything today we hope it's just enjoy wine you don't need rules new or old I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us.